church. And I appreciate all of the inspiration that we've already had today and uh, want to uh, con- congratulate the graduates in their uh, next stage. I know thinking about high school, I was super excited to graduate high school because I thought that would just be so much more time to, to go fishing. Um, I learned that wasn't the case at all, uh, but an exciting time. Um, today, we're going to talk about compassion. That's no surprise. And again, I, that wasn't my idea to start this uh, uh, Compassion Sunday today, but I am super glad to be able to speak about it as a focus to my sermon. Um, the first thing I want to tell you about was a few stories of when I have been shown compassion um, to myself, when you guys have been have been um, helping me out. And th- there's a hundred, hundred stories that I could tell. And we've heard some heavy stories today, but there, there's two stories pre- specifically that I want to share with you today, um, short stories that kind of go together. The first one is, about eight years ago, I was building fence, fixing fence, on my back 40, and... Uh, my oldest son, Jake, was with me, and he was probably about 10 or 12 at that point in time. And I was driving a fence post in the ground with one of those postal drivers that are about this tall, and they got a big old heavy weight on the top of it. And I was driving that T-post in the ground, and I just about had it all the way in, and the last time that I rammed it down, I picked it up um, a little bit too high, but not high enough to realize that I'd picked it up too high just high enough for the bottom of it to slide gently over top of the fence post. And when I pulled it down, it didn't slide over the pole. It hinged and hit me right in the bald head. And I went down on the ground, um, just knocked me silly. And there I was laying on the ground thinking, oh no, what has happened? And when I uh, came to my senses, my son Jake is looking over top of me, looking at me and says, says, Dad, do you want some water? I thought that was kind of funny because I needed an ambulance or something like that. <clears throat> but he offered me water. And, and what that should have been, I should have realized there, that, that you know that's a good illustration for what we need in the time of a near-death experience, which is the true life-giving water of Jesus Christ. I should have recognized that, but I'm glad that that happened and Jake offered me that water because it makes a good illustration. The next story I want to tell is uh, still fresh in my mind, and actually it's still fresh in my ribs as well. Two nights ago, we had men on fire. And in this men on fire, you know, every time we meet together, we meet to learn things and to become better men. And so we push ourselves to learn new, neat things. And this, uh, the specific thing that we were learning at this men on fire was uh, martial arts and, and wrestling and, you know, the hand-to-hand combat. So here we are. There was probably 20 of us, maybe more, 20 of us men there. And some of the high school boys came as well. And um, the instructor had told us how to do these different moves, and it, it was time to roll. Well, I did, you know, what, what any man would do. And I looked around the room, it, it was my turn to go first, and, and I picked the, the toughest guy in the room that I could find to start out with. And unfortunately, Larry didn't bring his gym shorts, so I didn't get to wrestle him. So the second toughest guy I went to, 
Um, well, Bruce didn't bring his gym shorts either. So I had to settle for a young guy, uh, 20 years old, and he was about 200 pounds of solid muscle. His name is Colton Langworthy, by the way. He's been to church here a few times. He's not here today because he lives in, in Coffeeville, and he has his own church there. But he comes to Men on Fire about every month. Um, so a young guy, solid. Nah, he'll, he'll be a good one to wrestle. And we got into it, and we were wrestling good. And boy, he was awful tough, and he had the adrenaline going. Like, I don't have the adrenaline anymore because I've wrestled so much. And he had a lot of that. And at one point, I thought I had her under control. I, th- I thought it was going good. I had him locked in and uh, wrapped up, and I went to squeezing. Well, I didn't squeeze fast enough and hard enough because uh, the only thing that he could have done to get out of that, I think, was... Well, what he did, he stood up, and I was still squeezing on him, <coughs> and uh, what, what ended the whole thing is that uh, this Colton Langworthy, he lost his, his traction. His feet went out from underneath of him because the makeshift mats that we had were slippery, now, his feet weren't underneath of him. The only thing that's underneath of Colton is three foot of air and me. And all 200 of them pounds was transferred from his shoulder right smack into my ribs. I have never felt so many bones uh, pop at one time in my life. Do you know what it's like to have the wind knocked out of you? Like... Actually, having the wind leave you is not a problem. The problem is you can't get that wind back. So there I was, uh, struggling, grunting, flailing around, making probably awkward noises, trying to compose myself. And, and have you ever been in a situation where uh, somebody's hurt and, and everybody's sitting around and you don't know what to do? You know, the few seconds you're like, I don't know what I can do. They're, they're hurt. Uh, I know what that's like from the other side. As I was laying there trying to get my wind back, I could see all these fellas sitting around me in a circle with big old wide eyes. Oh no, the preacher's going to die. <laughs> and just watching me. And Colton, he's on his knees apologizing. It was just not doing a whole lot of good. Uh, Colton, if you're watching this online, I forgive you. It wasn't your fault at all. It was an accident. You slipped. Um, so there we were. And I I was I was okay mentally but physically broken and uh but the reason that I'm telling you this story this morning is because of what happened next someone had instant compassion on me in that moment Mr. Eugene Smucker he did what every man should have done. He opened up his ice chest and fished out an ice cold bottle of water and ran to me and said Do you need some water? Yeah! Another perfect illustration of the life-giving water that we need when we're in a life and death situation. Uh, And Jesus is that life-giving water. Now, I didn't know what to do with that bottle of water, whether I should should pour it over my head or drink it with the wind that I didn't have in me yet, but I was appreciative so much. Thank you, Eugene, for uh, offering me water at that moment. little hand of compassion. Compassion. As human beings, we are created in the image of God. 
And in that, it is his intention for us to care for and to help other people who are in need. This is especially true for those of us who know the Lord and call God our Father. His heart breaks to see his children broken and hurting. And we can't help but for our hearts to break as well. Now, if you've ever seen extreme poverty up close, you know that it's, it's evil. And I'm not talking about simply being poor and living a simple life. I'm talking about the kind of poverty in which a single mother can't afford to feed her young children. So she feels like she's forced to sell herself into sin as a slave just to keep her children alive. Or the kind of poverty in which an orphan child is too small to get a job. There's no one to take care of him, so he steals food off the street just to make it. It's an evil that undermines the abundance that God instilled in creation for all living beings. And it robs people of dignity, of quality of life, and sometimes their very lives. Have you ever seen extreme poverty? It's not pretty. Uh, Maybe four years ago, Jessica and I took the youth group down to a place called Hever Ranch in Arkansas. And this is the, the organization that, in which you get a magazine and you can buy a, a goat or a chicken or a cow and you can have it sent uh, to a place where they would give it to a family and they would earn money from selling the, the eggs that that chicken laid. But it, in this heifer ranch, they had a program where they set up different, different small places that represented the poor countries or places um, around the world where poverty was at. And our group got to uh, be assigned to each poor location. We were split up and we had to stay there for 24 hours. We had to spend the night there. There was the, the slums and there was um, different countries like Thailand, Guatemala. There was even a place called Appalachia. And that's in our country, by the way, if you know that. Places that are really poor. And the kids, they, they slept on the dirt and it had rained I think because there was some mud that we had to sleep in and and we got assigned different portions of food that the people would have been uh, uh, had in those kind of countries and let me tell you it was culture shock for most of us to see that extreme poverty you know Jesus told his disciples Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Children living in poverty are usually lacking in the critical resources. Uh, They don't often have enough food, or enough water, or enough medicine, or shelter, or education. I often don't have family or community. It can be difficult to look at the the monster, we can call it, of, of poverty. It can be difficult to look it in the face. It's tempting to turn away and just ignore it. But I have good news. The Lord 
does not desire to shame us or guilt us. And please understand, that's not the objective of this sermon or this Compassion Sunday either. The Lord does not desire to shame or guilt us. Shame and guilt is probably the worst type of motivation. Especially when it comes to the sharing of your resources. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. That's how we should give. Not out of guilt or shame. Here at Calling Christian Church, we don't pass around a collection plate here. You know, that is between you and God, not you and the church and God. We don't want to... uh, for you to give or to help others out out of guilt or shame. And I know how that can get the best of us sometimes. Uh, Every year, my wife and I go to a preaching and teaching convention at Ozark Christian College. And they take up a collection to help the students there pay for their tuition. And I I think that's a great deal. And sometimes uh, my wife and I will... um, put all our money in the first day that we want to donate and then and then the next day the plate comes by and you know we've already put our one lump sum in and and so I take the plate and I pass it on to the next guy and I feel like man I should be putting something in because everybody around me is is seeing me not putting stuff in and thinking I'm cheap just something simple like that starts to make us feel a little guilty or feel shame listen that's not at all, what God is saying in this verse. He loves a person who gives cheerfully. This should come, any kind of giving to the Lord or helping someone, should come from a place of joyfulness, of being happy to help others out. You know, He doesn't want to shame or guilt us, but He does want to empower us. Today, I want us to walk out of this gathering knowing that we are called and equipped to make a difference in this world. As children of God ourselves, we have His nature in us. And that means that we all have at our disposal an incredible incredible power called compassion. I'm not talking about the organization that that we've heard from just a little bit ago. I'm talking about compassion as the motivated feeling to relieve suffering. To relieve suffering in someone else. I want to underline that compassion is an incredible power. Uh, you, You know this as well as I do. It's an incredible power. If you've ever seen seen uh, something play out where a, a kid falls and scrapes his knee and somebody else picks him up and dusts off his knee and, and maybe uh, buys him an ice cream cone or something, like that, it just catches our heart off guard and we love to see that compassion. And 
Maybe you felt it before. Maybe uh, someone uh, pile drove you accidentally into a mat and then someone else offered you some water. I've experienced that. By the way, uh, as I've said before, I didn't put Lexi up to this, having compassion Sunday. See, she has had this compassion for kids who need the most basic of care. She got a package um, that uh, has a letter in it specifically telling her how to talk to the pastor to convince him to do it. And she didn't know exactly what to do with that letter. It was pretty easy for her um, because I'm more than happy to preach on compassion because our God has so much compassion on all of us. All of us. Psalm chapter 145, verse 9. He showers compassion on all of his creation. So he has so much compassion on all of us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You might feel powerless in the situation of helping someone who is, who is poor, of helping someone who uh, needs to get out of a spiritually dark rut. Maybe they're not poor uh, materially. Or maybe they are. Maybe you feel powerless helping someone get out of poverty. There may be a hundred different reasons that you would say, I can't. I can't help them now. But I want you to know that God gives us compassion. And when fueled by the Holy Spirit, this compassion will give you the desire, the courage, and the strength to help someone out of a rut. So why serve the poor? And again, we're talking about poor, both uh, material-wise and the, the poor who are down on their luck, who are at the bottom of the tank and they don't know where to go. So why serve the poor? We'll talk more about the power of compassion in a minute, but first let's take a look at some of the compelling reasons why we should love to love and serve the poor. First one is it's the right thing to do. We could say it's the righteous thing to do. As I said, because we are created in God's image, it is his intention for us to help others. We know this. And doing what is right creates a great sense of purpose and joy in us. The whole uh, joyful and cheerful uh, giving and helping attitude. Well, number two, we can't help but be filled with gratitude. Now this is a big one. If you've ever gone on a mission trip to a poverty-stricken era, area, or uh, maybe you've served hot meals in, in a soup kitchen or visited sick in the hospital, if you've ever done that, you know that one of the byproducts of that service is gratitude in our own hearts for what uh, we are blessed with. You know, we serve others who don't have what we have. We think, boy, I'm sure grateful that... Uh, I can, I can buy my food every week that I don't have to uh, go around you know, trying to find, begging to get food just to feed myself. In a culture that includes an endless appetite for more, more, 
True gratitude is worth far more than gold. So when we help others, we can't help but be filled with gratitude. Number three, it's a way of spreading the gospel. As a church, the body of Christ, our love and service to the poor is a light to the world. John 13, 35, uh, Jesus says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Surely the selfless act of giving to those in need is the kind of love for one another this verse is talking about that causes the world to realize there is a different, deeper love available to them as well as, as, as the love that we get from each other. Now, this looks like Jesus. Number four, Doing to others as you would have them done to you is a command. And that comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And this verse takes on a whole new meaning if you imagine yourself living in extreme poverty with no ability to change your situation on your own. Wouldn't any of us long for help from those that had the power to do so to help us if we were in one of those type of desperate situations do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a command. And fifthly, if you want to know God better, love the poor. This is a big one. Knowing God is the absolute greatest gift and honor that any human being could have. So, let's take a look at some scripture to unpack Uh, this idea. Um, First off, loving the vulnerable is pleasing to God. James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Man, when we want to know someone we find out what pleases them and we do it. Now that can be dangerous with a human if we do whatever we can to please them if we find out. But that's not dangerous with God. We find out what pleases Him and we do it. And this is loving the vulnerable. This is what God wants us to do. And Jeremiah 22, verse 16, uh, we grow closer to God by doing what He does. By doing what He does. Jeremiah 22, uh, this verse comes from um, speaking to a fellow named Jehoiakim. He says, he gave, and and he's telling Jehoiakim about his father. Jehoiakim is not a very good guy. But Jehoiakim's father, Josiah, was. And so, uh, This verse is speaking to Jehoiakim. He says, He gave justice, speaking about his father. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? He gave help to the poor and needy. Simply put, this is discipleship, to do what he does. And he wants us to work with him in helping the poor and needy. Thirdly, he became poor so that we could become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 
you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. As we love and serve those who are struggling, our hearts are filled with gratitude and love toward God. And we get more in touch with what he has already done for us. And last part of this is when we serve the least of these, we are directly serving Jesus. Matthew chapter 25 Verse 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. When these righteous ones will reply, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This one seems too good to be true. If we could truly take these words of Jesus to heart, no one would ever need to ask us to help the poor because we would be searching out opportunities. Think of it like this. If you knew Jesus needed help, would you help him? Of course you would. Well, He says we are helping him when we serve those who are suffering. Now the biggest obstacle here, the biggest obstacle is not dying to self. This will be the challenge that we face in serving the poor and the needy. You know, sometimes we think that, well, the, the biggest challenge we will have will, will be uh, the devil or our finances. But often it's not directly the devil, it's ourselves that are getting in the way. As in selfishness or self-obsession or self-gratification or simply too much self-focus. Loving the poor can be a challenge for us. Especially, I can say maybe, especially for us Americans, because like it or not, we live in a consumer culture. No one would disagree with that. We are geared towards getting as um, a focus we on one person. And that one person that we are usually focused on getting for is ourselves. We can look at any of the ad schemes that are out there. And I, I can't get Burger King's ad out of my mind. It's have it your way. And I could go on and on about the, 
the ways that they tailor to us needing to make ourselves happy. So we need to buy more and spend more. But we have to fight this mindset. Being overly self-focused, it's a disease. Self-focus is a trap and it's a trick. And it can never produce happiness because it's a sin. And sin doesn't produce happiness, it leads to death. Could it be that the reason so many Americans today, including many Christians, be that they're, they're stressed out and anxious and getting unhappy, could it be that that's because we have swallowed the lie of consumerism, which has caused us to have to run faster and harder to keep up with the ever-increasing standard of living, the so-called good life. On the other hand, isn't it interesting that our Savior whom we follow did not teach self-gratification? No, he, he taught self-denial. Jesus said it clearly in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And it's not just a recommendation, but rather a requirement. We are to be his disciples. And this is required. It's because... His way leads to true life and joy. He doesn't require this because he wants us to be miserable. His way leads to life. And that doesn't change with the culture. And the culture can never take it away if we don't allow it. But it will threaten to. The most beautiful thing in all of this, is that when we die to ourselves, we care for the poor, we actually find ourselves. When we share the good news and the hope of Christ with others, we find hope in ourselves in return. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 10 tells us to feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and darkness around you will be as bright as noon. When we give ourselves, when we give of ourselves and of our time and of our finances on behalf of those in need, our light becomes brighter. The light of Christ, the hope of Christ, shines in and through us in powerful ways. And this is a way of living. Feed the hungry. And help those in trouble. Having compassion is the antidote to the disease of self-focus. And as we live this way, we draw closer to God. As we continually pray, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. So have you ever thought, man, I wish there was something I could do to help the neighbors out. Or maybe you've said, I I wish I could do something about the poor kids who are actually starving. 
I say actually starving because, you know, I have teenagers and I hear that often. Dad, we're starving when they have food in the pantry. And, and my kids aren't particularly picky, but sometimes we think. But we don't know what that's like. Have you ever thought, I wish there was something I could do about that? Well, instead of doing nothing, I want you to think about the scripture that we've read today. God wants us to care for the poor and needy. And if he wants us to do it, then he will empower us to do it. Maybe that doesn't mean financially. If you accept a position in God's workforce, he'll tell you what to do, and he'll give you what you need to do it. The first step is to pray about it. God, what can I do for you? And what can I do for your people? Now, I'll bet this week that you're going to have plenty of opportunities to help folks. And today, you don't even have to leave the building to get that opportunity. Over there on that table, right over there in the corner, there's 14 little rascals who don't have a Nintendo. And they don't have a mini bike or a cell phone, or a guitar, or a horse. They might not even have shoes or food sometimes. Evidently, $38 a month is all it takes to take care of one of them. Sometimes I think I should move to those countries because it would be cheap to take care of all my kids at $38 a month. But then they wouldn't have mini bikes or guitars, horses. You know what's neat? When you choose to take care of one of these uh, little, little children, then you get to actually correspond with the kid. The letter comes in the original language and a translated language if, if they speak a different language. As Lexi said, we've had this little guy um, he's from Rwanda. His name is Eidgud. Or I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, but he's okay with it. And I pray for him. And it's been such a blessing to see his letter come. When you help these kids out, they're actually receiving it and they're writing a letter to you in their own handwriting. Some of you that already have Compassion Kids, it's been really great to hear you talk about them. I was having dinner at uh, Howard and Connie's house last year one evening, and we had probably a 45-minute conversation that they were just telling me about about their person that they were supporting. I mean, as I understand, I think they're um, just turning 18 now, and, and their uh, girl is getting ready to go to college. Um, and that, that's, that's real. That correspondence is is a real life relationship. I don't think you see that in other other uh, places where you give money to help out the poor. I've seen and felt the joy that God gives us when we help others in need, and I definitely would recommend it in some way, shape, or form. And just remember that uh, this is not the only way to help out uh, the poor and needy. We have plenty of um, 
opportunities to do that throughout our week. And, and it's not my job or the church's job to tell you where that's at. I believe God will tell you if you spend time in prayer with him. We can sure provide opportunities. And here's an opportunity for us to, to love on these, these young ones. You know, let's, let's look at what Jesus said about compassion. Or, or rather what he did. In the scriptures, if you would search compassion in the New Testament, in the Gospels, it would pop up a lot. Matthew chapter 14, you see a huge crowd forming and Jesus approaches them and he begins to have compassion on them, the scripture says. He starts healing the ones who are sick. And in Mark chapter 1, It says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched a fella with leprosy. And he healed him. In Mark chapter 6, again, Jesus was in front of a crowd of people. And the scripture says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe this is where God is leading your compassion leading your heart to help lead others who don't know what way to go. Jesus had compassion. He began to teach them many things. Luke chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus tells a story about a sick man who has been beaten, left on the side of the road. And then, A Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, guess what? He had compassion on him. And he took care of him. And he even left a little bit extra for the man to make sure he was going to be all right. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. We hear the story of the prodigal son. The son returned home to his father after... Wasting his father's money. And while the son was coming home, still a little way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. As a story by Jesus. Last one. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. We read about what happened when Jesus came across a widow who had a son who was sick and then the son died. The widow was crying, as you can imagine. Her son had died. And Jesus was overflowed with compassion, the scripture says. And he said, don't cry, woman. And he healed her son. He brought her son back to life. Maybe today, you are the one who needs help. Probably not materially. Looks like we're all dressed pretty well and fed well. But maybe you're in a dark place. Or maybe you're struggling to keep up with life. The same God who raised 
the widow's son has more than enough compassion to raise you out of the rut that you are in. He is the life-giving water. If you are thirsty, come to him. Jesus will not turn you away. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful to have an opportunity not only to worship your name and to praise you, but to also help the poor and needy out today. God, I first ask that you would help us to be spiritually healthy. healthy, God. That you would give us the boldness and the security of knowing you. Lord, I ask then that you would give us the compassion that you have for us. Give us that compassion so that we help, could help others who need us and who are struggling with simple things like food and water. Lord, we know that you don't want us to be motivated by guilt and shame. But Lord, help us to be cheerful and joyful givers. Not to give more than, than what you can afford, Lord. We know that you could afford to give your son to purchase us. We praise you for that. We're ready to give it back to you, God. In Jesus' name.